0: diversity training and stuff every time there's an issue you know we get emails we get oh yeah this and that and then it just kind of fades away there's nothing ever you know nothing ever I think there's no attempt at a permanent solution for any of these things and as a person of color I'm like that's something that I would like to see happen.
1: Hello this is Jason Roach and welcome back to the Ace Pod. A production of the Association of Clovis Educators. Clovis Unified is a sprawling organization where over 6,000 employees spread out over about 50 campuses and other facilities serve the needs of a population of 43,000 students. These students are a truly representative group, with nearly 63% of them being students of color. And they come to us from all over the Fresno area about 47% from Clovis proper, 43% from the city of Fresno, and then the rest from the county. To say the least, this is a complex organization. Given that complexity, it is easy, and I know this is true of me, to not know the ins and outs of what our colleagues with different job titles do every single day. So, In the next series of episodes, we will talk to individual educators from across the district to discuss their differing roles and why they think a union would lead to better outcomes for our kids. In this episode, we welcome Adrian Cardenas, a fifth grade teacher from Miramonte Elementary.
0: Adrian, welcome to the Ace Pod. Hi, Jason. Happy to be talking to you today. All right. So let's uh, just dive
1: right into it. Why don't you just spend a couple of minutes and and talk about your journey in Clovis Unified? How'd you get here? What do you teach? And where do you teach? That sort of thing.
0: All right. Uh, Well, first off, my name is uh, Adrian Cardenas. I've been teaching fifth grade in Clovis for the last six years. I've been in the district for all six years, all of those six years. uh, But this is my eighth year overall teaching. Um... I started out actually right out of high school. I started out as a chemical engineering major at UC Davis, but uh, that didn't quite work out as I found out the math was a lot harder than the chemistry part. So, um, but I did always enjoy working with children. So um, I decided to switch to Fresno state and I told myself, well, let's look at this teaching thing and, that was kind of it, <laughs> you know, I, I ended up liking it and I just kind of stuck with it. And uh, eventually, originally I thought I wanted to teach the younger grades. That was my mindset. So my credentials actually, and uh, it was early childhood development credentials. So um, it was my whole credential focused on K3 and all my student teaching was focused on K3. So <clears throat> when I started the credential program, the program it was oh it's so it's going to be so easy for you to get a job and then that was right in 2008 with with all the financial crisis so i started out the credential program with oh you're going to have the pick of the litter you're going to get to choose wherever you want to go and then by that time i ended you know there was veteran teachers getting pink slipped around the valley so um right after the credential program i actually went to work at an educational company uh they're called. They were called Data DataWorks, and they actually were the ones that did EDI, um, explicit direct instruction, and where you know Sanger kind of yeah, yeah. lifted their model off the off of that. So I actually worked in the curriculum department for a year and a half, two years, um, and during that time, I actually started my masters for curriculum instruction. What I uh, curriculum instruction, which I finished later on. So I do have uh, my masters in curriculum instruction as well. Um, but anyways. Um, once the job market got better, I, my first job was teaching second grade at Eric white elementary in Selma. So, um, that I did get, I did get to work and where exactly where I wanted to be, um, in the, or in the lower grades. Um, but I quickly found out that it was, uh, it was, it was tough, man. It was tough. Um, And I didn't really have any reference point to go off of because that was my first year teaching. But now that I've taught lower grade and upper grade, um, it was tough, you know, having to plan every single thing out step by step because the young kids, they need those step by step instructions. You might have one or two that can do the multi-step thing, but the young kids were really hard, a lot of tattletaling, a lot of just Oh, man, it, it was a lot of monitoring them, making sure they didn't hurt themselves or someone else. Um, so my second year teaching, I moved to Central Unified at Teague Elementary um, out there on Shawna 99. And that was a pretty rough experience. Um, but I did get to teach, you know, a slightly higher grade level. And I enjoyed it because they were much more independent Um, And then my third year teaching was my first year at Clovis and it was definitely, I found like the fifth grade was definitely my sweet spot because they were young enough that they were still, you know, they haven't got those middle school hormones hitting yet. So they were still very, you know, they're still at fifth grade. They're they're still very sweet and, you know, want to please a teacher. They can follow multi-step instructions. You can talk to them. They might. Here, like, they might understand your logic, but and still choose not to listen to it. But at least they can understand your logic when you're talking to them. Younger kids, you know, not so much. You're able to, you know, fifth grade, you're able to, upper grade, I should say, you're able to have more, of like, adult conversations with them and talk about movies. I, ta- I talk to my kids all the time about Marvel and Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's. I, I have to make sure when any one of those new movies comes out, I you need know, to always make sure hey, if you have any spoilers, that's attention. Right away, I let them know because they're good about that. They're good about giving spoilers away for those, especially Star Wars. Um, so, yeah, so I've been teaching at, in Clovis at Miramani for the last six years. So did, that's uh, that's how I made my way. Where did you grow up? I grew up actually um, kind of here and there. My Before school, like, before school, I was um Fresno. I, I lived in Fresno, but I grew up mostly um school age, the school years was Fowler and Salma. So um I'm a little bit of a country, I'm a still county kid, as, as you would say. But I uh, I grew up um I did most of my I did all my elementary and middle school in, in Selma and my high school in Fowler. In so, Fowler High Fowler High? Yeah, also yeah. But I had a graduating class of 120, I think. Nice. <laughs> it was <laughs> a, little, a it was,
1: little, it, little different than the Clovis High uh, <coughs> School. It was a, It was a,
0: even from yeah. Salma to Fowler because Salma is a town of 30,000 and Fowler is a town of 5,000. Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was even then. It was a big difference because I. I came. I was going. I went from a middle school that had like 2,000 kids where I would see kids on a routinely basis. I didn't even know who they were. And then I went to a high school where the student population was 600 and everybody knew who each other, who each other were. And a lot of those kids had been going to the to school with each other since kindergarten. Right. So luckily I have a really, uh, have a really big family in Fowler. So I had a lot of family members to kind of help me out. Get, yeah. yeah. You know, acclimated to the new school, but um, it still was, it still was a big, you know, big difference. And now even, you know, when I go out for trainings and stuff to the to like Clovis East, And I look how big that school is. I can't even imagine, that, you know, I always came from middle school. So these bigger high schools are, uh, they're very very foreign to me when I go onto their campuses, especially when it's a period change. I see all the kids walking around. That's a, that's a, it's a big kind of shock to me even now. Yeah.
1: It's it's a pretty wild place, Clovis East. Like there's, yeah, I think we're between the, the, the sixth grade, seven through 12, we're somewhere over like 4,000. Students, right? (laughs) That's that you that's almost the size of Fowler, right? It is, it is. That's crazy. Yeah, (laughs) I was thinking, yeah, it is. So, and I mean, speaking of you know, kind of you said 600 kids right at Fowler High School, and I'm sure that's probably about how many kids at Miramonte. (laughs) That's almost exactly where
0: I think, well, between 650 and 700, closer to 650 though. So
1: yeah. talk about you know your time at Miramonte. What have you enjoyed about that experience?
0: Um, I think for Miramonte, um, the thing that I enjoy the most is that that it is it is tr- it's truly a, a community, a school surrounded by the community. I mean, if you when I tell people where it's at, I know, oh, yeah, it's on Fowler and Ashland, and and I can see them thinking in their head and and imagining the intersection, and then I can see it in their eyes, like they're they're thinking. There's not a school on Fowler and Ashland, but I have to say, no, it's about two blocks into the neighborhood and we're surrounded on all four sides um, by houses. I mean, one side, is just every, it's a backyard of all the, you know, all these different houses. So it truly is a part of the community. And I really enjoy being in a school that is like that because after you know, even after just six years, I feel like I'm part of the community. Where you know, I've had multiple siblings of one family. You know, I can I go if I go there on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon to do some quick work. I see kids out there, and I'm waving to them. I know what's whose family they belong to. So I I, I really think that um, it is a really tight knit community there, and that's my favorite thing about working there. not, not to mention, it's a title one. I was a Title One kid, so that all that feels very familiar to me, and and I feel very comfortable, you know, being there and working there. Yeah, that's that's great. I love that kind of idea that
1: it's just like, and it really is. You try and kind of drive in there, you're like, "There's, I know there's a school here somewhere in between all these these houses." That's probably kind of a really like
0: unique. Kind of feel now in yeah. our modern schools. So,
1: yeah, very cool. I remember when
0: I first went to interview, driving down that road. I'm like, okay, I see where my Google Maps is telling me, but all I see is houses down the street because the the main street that you go down it has kind of a curve, so you can't see straight down the street. Right. And before there was the big marquee, you couldn't really tell. I'm like, okay, You're like there's supposed to be a school here, and yeah, sure enough, again, you it's about two blocks into it into the neighborhood, and and it's there. There it is. All right, so.
1: Yeah, I teach, um, you know, 10th and 11th grade at, at Close East High School. And, you yeah, know, I got to be honest, other than a couple um, like sub jobs real early in my career, I don't have a whole lot of experience. And I think uh, elementary school for a lot of us in education is pretty mysterious. So what can you tell us about teaching elementary school that might demystify
0: the work a little bit? Um. <clears throat> When I think about secondary, I think about how you guys do have your prep times kind of built into your schedule. And at the elementary level, um, a lot of times, unless there's like some fancy messing around with the schedule for the music schedule, you, you don't necessarily get those prep times, um, especially if you're coaching you know, a sport. Um, so, for example, one of my more hectic days might be that I start teaching – in the morning, during morning recess break, I might have, I would have yard duty. So I might be able to squeeze in a quick, you know, restroom break there, but only in a couple minutes. I go back to teaching. I have lunch. I might get 20 minutes to scarf my lunch down before kids come back in to finish their work or for extra help. You know, granted, I, I could not have kids come in during lunch, but a lot of the times that's, you know, detrimental to me because I, I, I use that extra time to help kids out, make sure they get caught up. And so then lunch is over. We're back in class. The school bell rings. The day's over, but not quite yet. You know, if I'm coaching football that season, well, I, I coach football. So if it's a full during football season, I'm right out. you know, I, I'm already changed. I change at lunchtime. So I'm right out the door making sure the kids aren't messing around in the restrooms when they're getting changed. And I'm out there, so, you know, by the time I make sure all the kids leave because it, you know, I don't want them when they're getting their stuff back, you know, I, uh, getting uh, dressed to walk home. I don't want them hanging out there because sometimes problems start. So by that time, by the time everything's said and done, even though practice ends at 355, by the time I lock up all the gear and I talk to maybe a kid or two, maybe a parent um, or if there's any issues, it might be 420, 430 by the time I'm actually getting back into my classroom. And then that's when my prep time starts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, you know, it's not very fun having your prep time, you know, at the end of the day, after you just came back from a hundred degree weather, you know, coaching kids and you're back in the classroom. And then sometimes I might have a uh, ACES classroom in my, in, in there. So now I don't even really necessarily get the peace and quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I still have, I mean, I still might have 20, 25 kids in that classroom with me um, when I'm trying to do my prep. So it it, it 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 does get kind of tough. Now you know, on my side, we do have, um, you know, we have mandatory music. So when the kids are at music, that is kind of a prep time for us, and we get that twice a week, but not every day. Um, and even then, we still use that a lot for our PLC time. Um, so, but that's at my site. I don't know if all sites, you know, depending on how they work their schedule, they might not even get that. Um, but. Yeah. So finding time during the day, during the week to prep and to, you know, besides just that the early release PLC time that uh, that's kind of that is difficult at the elementary level, especially if you're involved in coaching or other extracurriculars that that, that can be really tough. Yeah, you guys are, you know,
1: one thing just from kind of watching my son go through uh, Reagan Elementary, like it's just clear how involved elementary school teachers are in kind of every facet of of serving kids uh, at your sites. Now, you know, what, you know, like you, you teach fifth grade, right? So what is, you know, what, what's something that you really like about fifth
0: graders? What is, you know, kind of... um. One, I enjoy the the science standards because I'm a big space nerd, and science, uh, the fifth grade science standards have a lot with space. I might throw in a little extra stuff just because I like to talk about it. Like, oh, kids love black holes. I don't care what kid, <laughs> kind of kid, they're fascinated by black holes. And what happens if you fall into one? What happens if you do time travel? So is, is that on the standards? No. Do we spend an hour talking about it? Yes. So um, the fifth grade science standards really speak to me. And it is a year that the kids get tested in fifth grade for, for science. So, um, and I'm big, I love doing all the science stuff. So um, if I can teach any other grade level, it would be maybe being a specific like middle school science teacher or high school science teacher. But um, I, that's one of my favorite things in fifth grade. Also, um, as you mentioned, we do do a lot of things um, uh, outside, a lot of extracurriculars. Like I, I coached football science Olympiad. I just started, a ch- I tried to get a chess club off the ground before, um, before COVID happened. And because I, with the goal of having some of our kids can com- compete in local tournaments. Um, and so being in fifth grade, a lot of those sports, a lot of those activities open up to the kids, you know, at fifth grade. Mm. So it's, it's, you know, it's fun being able to have a kid as a, as a student, but also having them as a player, because, you know, if they're acting up in class, Hey, you want to run extra laps, (laughs) you know, I practice. Um, But as I mentioned before, you know, the fifth graders, you know, they kind of, it's kind of before they get those, those preteen hormones. So they're a lot sweeter, you know, they're still very sweet. um, But they're just easy to talk to. So you can joke around with them. Um, Yeah. It seems like they really, you know, they,
1: yeah, I think you mentioned earlier, right? You can you can talk to them about movies, right? But they're also still kind of, they're still kids, right? They're still, and they get fascinated like easily by kind of things like black holes and
0: kind of really enjoy kind of learning those new things, right? So and that, they still love read-alouds. Every every yeah. week after we come back from the library, I'll do a read-aloud with them. And it'll be – it's not even on grade-level books. It'll be – one of my favorite ones to read to them was A True Story of the Three Little Pigs. <laughs> and they love it. They yeah, love that story is <laughs> great. I love that story. <laughs> even, yeah. the, even if the two the, the for School kids are still, you know, listening yeah, in yeah. and I'm doing the voices and everything. Mm-hmm. And I have it under the doc cam, And if, if there's too much glare on the camera, they'll read Oh, I can't see. so. They, they, they're totally into it for being you know they're getting they're right before that middle school age where they yeah, start yeah. to act too cool for school right yeah. but um, but they love you know they love that kind of stuff still so I, I think that's why you know for me fifth grade I found to be my my, my, my sweet spot when it came when it comes to the grade levels
1: And then yeah, okay, can't, like for, you know just can like for those of us that the k6 is a bit of a mystery you know, there's usually kind of this division between K3 and then four, five, six. 5, what, what do you see as kind of the biggest differences in those, you know, kind of groups of, of kids?
0: Um, I know when I get a lot of, you know, when I get some of my kids from in fifth grade, there tends to be um, sometimes where parents were, the workload increases by a decent amount. And also our expectation that they're independently being able to do that because we are kind of getting them ready for sixth grade. I mean, generally a lot of other districts, sixth grade is middle school, right? So we're getting them ready to be more independent, you know, for in sixth grade and, and on. And so sometimes parents do come to me and they'll say, you know, Hey, you know, you know, we, usually the teacher tells them all oh, the teacher used last year would tell them. when I'm like, yeah, I did tell them, but I'm not going to be constantly reminding them. They, they need they they So it is teaching that independence. Mm. So there is a big gap between that. Um, and I would say the second biggest thing that sticks out in my mind is that, you know, when I was a second grade, te- second grade teacher, we were teaching to read, you know, we're teaching kids how to read and, in upper grade, the kids are reading to learn. So, you know, I don't do as many, you know, for a kid that might be a fifth grader, but reading at a second grade level, there is not that, there is not a lot of time for me to go and sit down and go back and do phonics lessons and comprehension lessons at that level. You know, they are expected, you need to be able to read, access the content, and then you're going to be producing, you know, work, whether it be, Answering questions, essays, or some kind of presentation based off that. So, um, I think the workload does definitely. There is a big jump from those lower grades to the upper grades, and also the expectation of being to able to do things independently as well. So, I think those are the two biggest things um, when it, when you're looking at lower grade and upper grade. All right, very cool, and, and
1: it's probably you know yeah I mean, you know, pretty interesting to kind of see these kids grow up for you know six years right at a school site that's pretty cool so
0: yeah it, it is and yeah. you know what i i did it was really cool too seeing them come back once they're in high school or middle school and their voices like this and, and they got facial hair i'm like who is that like i <laughs> and then now with the, some of the kids are coming back with masks on and i can't tell who's who even you know so even like over christmas break at elementary I see the kids and they I can tell that they got bigger or they look yeah. different, um, especially the boys and from fifth grade to the, from the beginning of fifth grade to the end, there, there is a big difference. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I'll, there are often times where I've been, you know, I've seen a kid in first grade because they were maybe a younger sibling of one of my students. And mm-hmm. then I end up having them um, in fifth grade. It, it happened just this year. I just found out that uh, one of my, Students who's a ninth grader, I have his sister and I didn't connect the dot. I didn't know. I saw the last name, but I didn't know. And he's she's oh yeah, Marcos is my brother. I'm like, what? I'm like, I put him on Zoom right now. And so she walked her computer over to him. And I'm like, Marcos, why didn't you tell me this was your sister? But then I went back in my memory and I vaguely remember him telling me, you know, after school I have to go pick up my sister and this. I'm like, oh, that's the sister he was talking about, the one that was in kindergarten. So yeah, it is very cool. And then again, back to that being that small community, you know, you do have these families that stick around for the, from preschool, even preschool, all the way to sixth grade. And they're there at Miramani. And w- once you're there long enough, you're, you're seeing these different gen- these, right, these right. Different siblings going through and family members. So um, it definitely, yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I
1: know that, you know, I teach 10th and 11th and then Yeah, I'll see kids 10 years later and I'm like, um, (laughs) I can't even imagine, you know, like having a fifth grader and then seeing them when they're 25 and trying to to figure out who that they do
0: that, um, they do the graduation walkthrough at the end of the year. They just started doing that. And so far I haven't been in the district or teaching long enough to have any of my kids go through, but I'm I'm really looking forward to the day where I get my have my first class of Miramani students that are seniors that are get to walk through. I think, uh, it's be I think soon, huh? I, huh? It's gotta be soon, right? About three more years. Yeah. Three more years. Yeah. And uh and I'll get to see those kids and they, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a really special day for me. that, so, that okay, is a, I'm
1: looking forward to that. That is a really cool tradition. Yeah. I like if uh, if I can I, I like to kind of go over to Reagan where you know the kind of graduates are are going there. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, you know, obviously we're here um you know, this is a great conversation, but we're here to talk about um you know, a little bit about unionization and you know, just real you know, briefly, what are a couple issues that, you know, that we've talked about kind of your life as an elementary school teacher and what do you see as some some issues uh that unionization
0: could help at the elementary school level. <clears throat> my uh, my first thought goes right to class size because you know being a lower grade teacher being that i've taught lower grade one year having uh you know 20 something kids compared to an upper grade this uh if this would have been a normal year this would have been my second year having 37 kids in the classroom yeah. so <clears throat> having a smaller class size is so much more i mean there's there's just positives all around i'm able to be a better teacher I can make contact with kids more often. I'm less stressed, which makes me a better teacher. Um, I'm able to contact parents easier because I only have, you know, I might only have 25, 30 sets of parents to, you know, to check in with versus, you know, 37, you know, 37 at the upper grade level. As I mentioned, my upper graders are a lot more independent than my lower graders, but you know, they're still not anywhere near as independent as a, you know, eighth grader or 10th grader, you know, so having 37 kids, you know, 37 10 year olds in the class, that's, it's rough, you know, just physical space is an issue in the class, especially during sports when, you know, you're bringing in, you have 37 kids, 37 chairs, 37 desks, 37 backpacks, half the class is bringing in a sports bag for their practice after then, you know, then it's a band day. So then you have instruments, you know, you're literally are, you know, having to turn sideways just to go up and down aisles, you know, and it, and it gets to a point to where it is kind of, you know, it is kind of crowd control. And the times that I, you know, I've had to have had that experience. I found that it's, it's just, um, luckily you do get an aid. So you get, we do get some help, you know, in, in that but you know it, it is very hard where you know sometimes I get caught off guard and where I didn't update a parent soon enough about a kids grades or about an issue and you know going back to kind of the hectic schedule with not that many you know that not, not that much prep time you know and then couple that with 37 kids you just don't get around to some stuff and I feel that the teaching is a very kind of You know, you don't get to go very deep with the teaching because, again, you're doing all, spending so much time with classroom management. Sometimes activities, some certain activities can't be done. You know, for PE, when we do PE, I'm the one who do, and on my grade level, I do the PE curriculum. You know, it's kind of hard to do a soccer match, you know, when you have all the the classes out there. And, you know, if we have two classes of 37 kids, it's hard to do that many soccer games or that many uh, ultimate Frisbee games to where it's fun for the kids. And um, so the first thing that comes to mind is class size. Um, you know, even before it, you know, if someone, were, anytime someone's asked me, you know, with, regardless of whether they were in education or not, they said, oh, do you think, you know, would you want to get paid more as a teacher? My first, and my answer right away is instead of me getting paid more, I'd rather have a smaller class size because again, I will feel good about myself because I know that I'm being a more effective teacher, and I'm going to be less stressed. So, um, it, for me, it's it's the biggest issue is class size. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think um,
1: <clears throat> that I think it's just true, right? <laughs> and I agree, right? I mean, I would, you know, I would uh, forfeit any sort of pay raise for you know, kind of significant reductions in class load. It does degrade you as a teacher the more students you have, and that's that you know less students. It has a payoff for students, and I, I think that's just you know you know it's difficult to argue against. Um, and it is definitely kind of a um, it's definitely a, a problem we have at the high school level as well. Our our class sizes are um, are bursting at the seams. And it's just really good for kids to have kind of more attention from their teachers.
0: All right. And then, uh, anything else? Um, I, again, going back to just that prep time, um, I'm looking again. I'm looking at my side. I do get, you know, when the kids go to music, I get to use that time as prep time, but it's not a daily thing where I have daily dedicated prep time. Um, <clears throat> most of my prep time is after school, but again, you know, being, you know, I, am involved in a lot of extracurriculars. Like I mentioned, you know, right, right from the get-go, you know, first week of school, football, you know, football starts. Uh, I do get a little bit of reprieve, you know, after that. But um, again, I, I don't, I mentioned earlier, I was trying to get um, a chess club off the ground and I, and I do plan, you know, this next school year, I plan to do that, to get it. Ch- and most of the kids that have never played chess before. So it's kind of, you know, when we actually, before COVID hit, my, uh, my site admin had bought us, bought me a bunch of different chess boards for the kids to play with, you know, we were ready to go. So, and that was something that I was doing after school as well. Um, I considered it doing it after during lunchtime, but I didn't think that I was going to reach the kids, you know, get that much interest in it. So I did it after school. And then I had to coach science Olympiad, which again, I, and I treat that as a sport when we do place and we do get medals at the county level, um, And so, and it's because I do treat it as a sport and we do it Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Um, So that again, I takes away a lot of my prep time there um, after, after school. So, and I know a lot of us are doing those extracurriculars at the elementary level. Um, So I think, you know, finding time during the day is, um, is kind of hard. We're not getting a that consistent everyday prep time we do have, you know, again, on my side, we have the prep time that our music music time allows us. But, uh, besides the PLC time, which is really just planning, you know, we're planning, but we're not really prepping, you right. know, for the next day. That's more, you know, we're going over data and, you know, whatnot, whatever you, you know, what you do at a PLC. So you're not necessarily prepping for the next day and making sure that you're, you know, you have everything in order. Uh, so you're not, you know, stressed out and, you know, kind of scrambling, you know. So, um,
1: yeah, I, no, it's clear, right? That, you know, kind of both of your issues, right? The uh, class size and prep time, um, you know, what I appreciate about them is they, they kind of really are focused on, on kind of being a better teacher for your kids, right? And that's, you know, talking to, you know, a lot of educators in this process and on this podcast, um, you know, that's where our focus is and that's where it's got to be. So last question for you here, Adrian, why are you signing the union
0: support petition? Um, so I, you know, funny thing is I, you know, the two districts I came from were both unionized. And actually I remember in Salma, I don't. I don't recall. This was eight years ago, and I don't. I remember they were going through some big issues where they were almost considering a strike, and I and I didn't know what was going on. You know, I was you know young. I was I was you know. Hey, I I didn't want to you know get involved in anything because. You know, at that point, I didn't know all my rights. I didn't know that I could get involved in that union talks right my first year. But the people around me told me, "Oh, you don't want to get involved because they might retaliate against you." Now I know that's not that would you know that can that that's not legal for them to do. But at the time, I didn't really get involved. So um, I did hear a lot of union talk, and we would go to staff meetings, and then they would have the staff meeting, and there would be a lot of union talk. I didn't know, and then I got to Clovis, you know, and they said, oh, "There's no union." I'm like, "Okay." You know, and I didn't really have any issue with it at that, at that time because, you know, I, re- I didn't really have enough experience as a teacher to know what was right and what was wrong. Um, but I think I never really questioned it until this last year. Um, and what, I'm, what I meant, what I should say is I never really trans- questioned the transparency of the district until this last year when I I started myself asking questions to upper admin um, in regards to why is this decision being made or what happens for this or what criteria, like uh, specifically, when the district came out with their different plans for A, B, and C, you know, what criteria triggers plan A, triggers plan B? And then there was no direct answer. It was always kind of those prepared answers that kind of just get recycled over and over again. And I got really upset, you know, in terms of that. Um, so the lack of transparency for me was, is the main, the main reason why I'm choosing, is the main reason why I'm choosing to sign the petition. Um, and secondarily was just, um, as we mentioned before, I, I was not raised in Clovis. I didn't go to Clovis schools, but I knew Clovis by the reputation of not the best place for uh, cultural minorities. You know, and I and I stayed away from Clovis for a very long time because of that. Um, and even now, I don't really particularly, you know, I, I'm careful where I go in Clovis. For, you know, for certain, you know, at nighttime for certain places. And and I joined the district, and I, I do have this internal struggle where I go to these trainings, and it's oftentimes, you know, it's a very one-sided as far as you know the cultural representation in the rooms for these trainings. And the first time I really noticed that when I I went to a big training with, there was like 200 other teachers and it was, I forget what, I think it was a close reading training at the veteran memorials, uh, one of their halls in downtown in in the old town. And I was like, my, oh my gosh, you know, just cultural minorities here. I can almost count, you know, count them on my feet, you know, on my hands. And there's like 200 people here. And then, you know, I would walk down the hallway and see all the Christmas cards from all the other elementary, you know, uh, schools. And they kind of reinforce them, like, is this, you know, I don't know statistics. You know, I took statistics in, you know, for my master's program. Like, statistically, this doesn't seem right for, you know, the makeup of the valley, you know, not just Clovis, because, you know, Clovis isn't just on the island on its own. We, you know, we're part of a bigger, you know, valley and, you know, Central Valley. And, like, this doesn't, this just doesn't match. And even when I compare it to Central and Salma, the two other districts, out, you know, just the, the makeup of those, you know, teachers culturally wasn't kind of matching up. So, um, and I feel like the diversity training and stuff, it, it, every time there's an issue, you know, we get emails, we get, oh, yeah, this and that, and then it just kind of fades away. There's nothing ever, you know, nothing ever, I think there's no attempt at a permanent solution for any of these things. And as a person of color, I'm like, that's something that I would like to see happen Um, because there is an issue. I mean, we had the NAACP pretty much call us out nationally that there is an issue here. And that was, you know, that made the newspapers. That was a big thing. We got a bunch of emails for that and then what now where are we at now when's the last thing any of us have heard about you know anything so that's my secondary you know second reason for signing the petition all
1: right adrian you know thank you for that and you know i think that's a a really important perspective you know the idea of transparency is really important and then you know obviously it must be really disorienting uh, as a person of color to kind of you know, really truly kind of enjoy working at miramonte and enjoy those kids in that community, as you you talked about. But then to have this kind of conflict where you're kind of questioning, you know, how you how you kind of fit in, or does the district really kind of support people of color? So, yeah, I mean, I think those are two really important issues, and uh, I appreciate you talking about them. So, thanks, Adrian.
0: You're welcome. Thank you, Jason.
1: Every week, we want to end by celebrating and honoring the students we serve. So, Adrian, just go ahead and talk about your students
0: for a little bit. Well, um, I think I want to talk about just kind of one kind of different kind of relationship outside of the classroom that I get to have with my students. That is unique to Clovis. Um, is that I do get to coach, you know, football, and we, again, unique to Clovis, we get we get we have full contact, you know, football with pads and helmets. Um, that other schools you know around the area that they don't they don't have that and the reason I like that is because I get to interact with the kids in a at a different level that's not as a classroom teacher but more from someone that you know can kind of provide kind of life skills Um, you know my first obviously my first goal for coaching football is that the kids have fun and then also that it does teach them that perseverance and that grit because a lot of them are used to seeing the the highlights on YouTube or Instagram where, you know, the football, the football, the running back, the wide receiver catches the touchdown and runs for a hundred yard touchdown. But that's in reality, that's not how it works. You know, I tell my kids, well, I remember vividly one year, my, my kid, he saw, we, he, he got the ball a handoff and he ran two yards and got tackled. And I told him Richard, guess what? We're going to do that again. And then we're going to do it again. <laughs> and then we're going to do it again. And then maybe the fourth time, maybe you might get 10 yards, but it's a, it's that experience of falling down and picking yourself back up and, and knowing that you're going to go back into a situation that it's going to be stressful physically, you know, hurt. It might physically hurt, but they have that, that they're building that grit and that perseverance and, um, and I especially do it during conditioning because all of these kids, you know, they they might be running around playing tag, but they're not used to pushing themselves. And I, and I'm very, I mean, I help them be very aware of them. I feel how your body is feeling and they feel like they're about to die, but they're not going to die, you know, but they haven't pushed themselves. So I really enjoy that experience of having the kids push themselves, having them work through tough situations because sometimes in the classroom, um, they might not get that all the time or especially if they're a kid where all academics comes easy for them but not so much you know that physical toughness you know and that mental toughness because they've never had to experience that mental toughness because all academics have always come easy for them so I do I do enjoy that experience and I've had kids I remember one kid you know after the third you know the first day of conditioning he was I'm gonna throw up. I mean, and he was in tears, and he was barely making it. And by the third, fourth day, he's all, "Oh, this is not that bad." I'm like, "Yeah," because you know your limit now. You know where you know where you, how how much you can push yourself. So I do enjoy interacting with the kids on that level because I feel like it's I'm able to teach them a life skill that not I'm not I might not necessarily get to teach them in the classroom. I'm not gonna be you know <laughs> having kids strap on full gear in the classroom. All right, move the desk, guys. Let's go at it. So um, I do, I I very much enjoy that, uh, that aspect of uh, being able to do that. And again, I wouldn't really be able to have that experience anywhere else except for Clovis Unified. All right. Amazing. Uh, Thank you, Adrian.
1: Clovis educators and all of you out there that have tuned in, we thank you for joining us in the conversation to engage further. You can find us at www.ClovisEducators.org and at our Instagram handle, at Clovis Educators. Remember, there is nothing wrong about having this conversation. You cannot legally be punished for participating, asking questions, listening to this podcast, attending a meeting, and ultimately, if you choose to, signing the union support petition. These are your legally protected rights. We are ACE, we love Clovis Unified, and we will see you next time on the ACE pod.